Welcome to the Global River Church Discipleship Teaching of the Week. We hope you enjoy today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org. talk about Dietrich, they call him Bonhoeffer if you're German, Bonhoeffer if you're American, so <laughs> whichever way you want to do it, you can, uh, you can do it. But this has affected me probably more than anything that I've ever read. He is uh, in the, and today with what went on in the Capitol building and all this stuff, I know there's some concern about that, but remember, he's our father. There's nothing, what, I think what Eddie said this morning in prayer, you can, he is God. You don't have to worry about anything. He's going to watch over us, and, 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 uh, and he'll watch over us more than we even know. And uh, we don't have to worry, because we are, we are in his hand. And no matter what happens to us, God is in charge. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, I want to talk to you about Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I call it Bonhoeffer, not Bonhoeffer, because I'm not German, so I have to do that. Now, Daniel told me how to do this. Oh, it says play on there, Daniel. <laughs> so, okay. He. This is some of the. This is his introduction. I want to, This is says slide seven. How do I get six, five? Four, three, two, one. Ha! I got it. <laughs> okay, this is this is what he looked like. He uh, is a German. Uh, let me tell you about him, though. He is awesome. He was born in 1906 in Breslau, a province of I can't say that Silesia, Kingdom of Prussia. I didn't know where Prussia was. Did you? <laughs> and. Uh, he died at 39 in Flossburg, a concentration camp. He was known for his staunch resistance to the Nazi dictatorship. Now, something I didn't know before I read this was nobody wanted a dictator. They didn't want democracy in Germany. They wanted a dictatorship. So Fuhrer just said, the Fuhrer says, I'm, I'm in charge. And nobody said anything. And everybody that didn't like him, he killed them. He was quite a guy. <laughs> so, so those people that were still living liked him <laughs> or didn't say anything. It, it, people like Bonhoeffer did say something. And that's what got him in trouble in the, in finally. But he was, uh, he was from a um, rich neighborhood or rich family. This is his twin sister. He had a twin sister and eight kids. Uh, the family didn't attend church. This was a big surprise. Three of his brothers were killed in World War I and World War II. He had an, it was an influence, influential family. Uh, he, uh, his dad was a, uh, his name was Carl, and he was, uh, he was, he was helping uh, Einstein split the atom. So they were well thought of in Germany at that time. Uh, the, the family just had an idyllic uh, gr growth period, but they, but they didn't go to church. 
it's okay to have a Lutheran church and it's okay to go to it, but they didn't go. So he didn't have any spiritual uh, help with his family. But he did decide to be a pastor. His, uh, his brother was a physicist, one of them that was still living. His brother, who was the physicist, was the last boy in the family that lived. And he lived until, I think he might still be alive. He's, or he might have, might have died earlier on. But they were an influential family in Germany. Okay, doctor, he got a doctorate at age 31, and he was the summa cum laude. Does anybody know what that means? Number one. <laughs> in his, his class, he was number one. He got that, I think, at the University of Berlin, which uh, was a very prestigious uh, thing. He was a Lutheran pastor when he finally got it, uh, and I'm going to talk about that a little bit, but a Lutheran, y'all know what happened? Uh, what church did Luther go come against? Catholic Church. He wrote, uh, what, 96? He, he wrote his, what he thought the Catholic Church should be like. He hammered it on the door in a big Catholic Church. <laughs> I, think, I think it's the 96 thesis. Anybody, can anybody correct me? 96 sounds like it. So it, he was there. So that's what the Lutherans were. But they, that was 400 years before. Now, we can't relate in America to 400 years. We were independent in 1776. That wasn't 400 years ago. That's less, was it less than 300? So we don't know what it's like to be 400 years old. <laughs> so we don't, uh, we're not able to criticize Luther and the Lutheran church. But I want to know, I want you to know that, that Luther, not Luther, bon, Bonhoeffer, Bonhoeffer, was called by God. He didn't know it. He didn't know God called him. He just wanted a job. And at that time, the German, uh, they, they paid the salary of the, of the pastor. So he just wanted a job, and he could, since he was, quote, so smart, <laughs> he could have a job, and he was also well-connected uh, to all over Berlin, well-connected. His family was very well, well, well off. And uh, so he was looking for uh, a job, but he didn't like Hitler. After in 1933, I think it was, he had he got they asked him to come on the radio as a pastor, and he criticized Adolf Hitler's regime. He said, "I don't like it. Hitler means leader. I didn't know that." So when you talk talk about I'm sorry, the Führer means leader. Führer, yeah, and it's a, it's. A, so he was the Fuhrer of Germany. He was the leader of Germany. Uh, Bonhoeffer didn't like that. He didn't like, they didn't like democracy because it didn't work. Not for them, anyway. They were so used to being under a king that uh, democracy for them did not work at all. So uh, they said, well, we want one leader, very strong, and that's what Hitler was. And Hitler convinced them he was a very good speaker, by the way. He convinced them that he was in their, in their favor. And I've got something I want to show you. Have you, you got that video ready to go? It's a five-minute video. Uh, I didn't, okay. 
right, I want I want I want y'all to watch this and then look at the look at the letters underneath it. Hitler often spoke about the Almighty, and the Almighty was behind the scenery of the destiny of the German people. So this was a completely ideological God who justified uh, the own estimations and uh, own expectations of the people who justified the exclusion of others, who justified the idea of a superiority of the German people. Ich kann es von der evangelischen Kirche sagen, nur die war durch ihre ganze Geschichte hindurch natürlich sehr obrigkeitshörig, obrigkeitstreu. Der Verlust des Krieges, des Ersten Weltkrieges 1918, der Sturz der Monarchie, Begründung der Republik, wurde von den Christen zumeist als großes Unglück empfunden. Hitler versprach gleich Beseitigung aller demokratischen Denkweisen, keine Republik, sondern Führerstaat, eine direkte Fortsetzung der Monarchie, aber nun eben nicht mit einem Adligen, sondern mit dem von Gott gesandten Führer Adolf Hitler. Insofern kann man sagen, die Kirche mit Schuld daran, dass der Boden für, die, für Hitler und seine Partei äh, vorbereitet war. On January 30, 1933, Adolf Hitler became Chancellor of Germany. Die 
two days later, as Germany continued celebrating its new leader, Bonhoeffer spoke by radio to a national audience. He was three days shy of his 27th birthday, yet he delivered one of the first public criticisms of the new chancellor in a speech entitled, The Younger Generation's Changed View of the Concept of Führer. Should the leader allow himself to succumb to the wishes of those he leads, who will always seek to turn him into an idol, then the image of the leader will become the image of the misleader. This is the leader who makes an idol of himself and his office, and who thus marks God. Before Bonhoeffer could finish his talk, the broadcast was cut off. Okay, you see how many, uh, how many people he influenced? Tremendous speaker. Now, if you hear anything about Adolf Hitler, he was an evil man, but he was a tremendous speaker. And those crowds that came to him were not forced to come. And the condition, and I'm going to talk a little bit about the condition in Germany at that time. Uh, America, we're pretty proud of ourselves. We kind of like the way we are. We think, uh, we think a lot of ourselves. But, uh, and that's what the Germans did, but they were being crucified. And I'll tell, you, I'll tell you a little bit more about that. Well, this is, okay. This is the Absidian Baptist Church in Harlem. Now, he had a, a challenging experience. Right? Let me see if I can read this. And friendships. Studied under this real Reinhardt uh, neighbor, uh, met, a, met a black, this guy named Fisher, a black seminarian who introduced him to this church, became sensible to the gospel of social justice under Adam Clayton Powell. Adam Clayton Powell, you, I've heard that name, but I didn't know anything about him. But he's, he's a black man. He's got his PhD. He had his PhD at the time. I think he's passed away. And Adam Clayton Powell, Jr., took on his mantle uh, in, in, our, in our lifetime. But this is the church that changed his life. Let me see if I can get this to work. Okay. Attended this church and was the only white man in the whole church. <laughs> and he had uh, a Sunday school class of sixth graders. Can you imagine? A German teaching sixth grade. Of course, it was a white guy. <laughs> But they, had, they have, a, I think, a thousand and over every Sunday. That's one service that they, it's a huge church. He felt the Spirit of God at that church, attended regularly, and stayed for one and a half years, one and one half years. He loved Negro spirituals. Swing low, sweet chariot was his favorite. And he took 17, I think, DVDs back to I don't know why they didn't have DVDs then. <laughs> back. He, took, he took 17 tapes <laughs> back to Germany. That was DVDs. <laughs> now, DVDs are out now. Did y'all know that? <laughs> but uh, he loved the spirituals, and his life changed there. When he started, it was only a job as a pastor. But when he went to that church... He said, they believe what they, what they, mean, what they are taught. And they, all of the services are wonderful. 
Has anybody ever been to a Negro church? I have. I have. <laughs> they, I mean, amen to this. They're, an, they're about 500 daddies. <laughs> but, but they are, they know what they're talking about. They, the spirit of God is all over them. And they changed his life. So from this time forth, he became a new man. Uh, yeah, baptized in the Holy Spirit. Could be what happened to him. Okay, after two years, he returned to Berlin. And this listen to, he felt a call to his native country to share in its struggles. He could have criticized Germany from right there in Harlem. But he didn't. He went, said, I better go back. Shortly after his return, one leader of the Confessing Church was arrested and other fled to Switzerland. Uh, they, a lot, he, was, he was safe. He was away from Germany. And they were killing preachers at that time. He had no, he had his authorization to teach and revoked in 1936 after being denounced as a pacifist. What's a, what's a pacifist mean? What, what's their, what's their belief? Yeah, they don't like war. Yeah, he, so he was called a pacifist. Now, one thing he did, and, and he was uh, criticized for, is he tried to kill, he tried to kill Hitler. Isn't that something? He started an underground seminary in a town called Finkelwald for the Confessing Church. Now, you must know that the, 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 the Lutheran Church, and I'll tell, had not, he couldn't be a Lutheran, but he could be a confess. So he started a confessing church for pastors. His uh, Barth, that was a friend of his, was driven by persecution to Switzerland, and uh, another man that he was, Nemo, was arrested in 1937. So they didn't, they took. They took a, a lot of preachers out at that time. And this was Hitler. <laughs> he was not allowed to teach at the university. So here's a guy that was summa cum laude, the, the smartest guy in, in his seminary, and, and he was not allowed to teach because Hitler didn't like him. All right, he had his uh, promising Adam, uh, I've told you this, he became a determined opponent of the regime. He felt that the Fuhrer would become a misleader or seducer. And that turned out to happen. <laughs> he was a misleader. And uh, he hated, uh, hated people. The German church became Hitler's church. You know, and especially later on during the war, if you know anything about World War II, later on, Hitler was winning. He went into France in, in about a week, didn't he? Li I'm a war, war, I, I listen to war movies all the time. <laughs> Must have Jan's chagrin. She doesn't like war movies. <laughs> but, that's not Hallmark. <laughs> I didn't say it. <laughs> but uh, the German church was started by Hitler, and they supported him. And against the, gut, the uh, genocidal persecution of the Jews. Now, one thing they, they did was they did what they called the Aryan paragraph. The German church said, well, pastors and church officials of Jewish descent were to be removed from their post. Didn't matter how good, didn't matter how bad, they were Jews. And there was a lot of uh, hatred of the Jews in the Germany at that time. They were, they, they were in... Uh, uh, and they, were, they didn't have any money to spend. 
Uh, they were they're not, not food to eat. The food, the, their cabinets were not full. And so they blamed the Jews. And then this is something that, that uh, we know all about rigged election caused an overwhelming number of churches to vote with the unification of Nazi, Nazi church, the German church. So basically, uh, they rigged the election so that the pastors were supposedly voted uh, for the German church. This is one way that uh, Hitler got power. It does sound familiar. <laughs> it sounds a little very familiar. Uh, in September 1933, the German church passed a revolution. I think it was uh, the, major, the biggest one in Germany, showing the support of the Nazi position. So they had their meetings once a year, the conferences, and uh, they voted on these things, and they voted to support Hitler. And, the, and so that, these are pastors. So that, that wasn't good. <laughs> okay, Treaty of Versailles. This, um, this really was uh, influencing all the German people. What does it say? It says, that basically, you lost World War I, therefore you're, you're a bad person. Uh, this is Terry Rickey's uh, current. <laughs> I'm trying to see uh, First World War established the League of Nations. I didn't know that. According to the agreement, agreement or they were severely punished. And this is the territory in black that they lost. So here's Germany, the very proud Germany. They, they lost the World War I, and they almost won it, I guess, a month or two before. And then they, they lost another battle, a big battle, and they, they lost the war. So they were punishing Germany by giving Poland and France part of the territory. And I don't, uh, so they felt, they felt, you could see it on Hitler's uh, speech, they felt rained on. <laughs> they felt less than. So the German people who were very proud were being, ever feeling like the whole world thought they were just a bunch of trash. So when a man came that said, hey, I'll make you proud again. They accepted that. Now, the Lutheran church at this time had no power, had lost authority to change society. Hitler, Hitler formed the formation of the German church was successful because the German feel, people felt they were being persecuted by the treaty, and they, like Hitler, had the answer. So a lot of reasons that he was put in office was the Versailles Treaty. We don't know much about that. That happened a long time ago, right? I didn't. I, I had heard about it, and in my war movies they talked about it. <laughs> but this is this is what they felt. They felt, and Hitler was going to bring them out of that that feeling of everybody against them. Hitler was supposed to do, and, and especially later on, when they started winning wars. All right, in April 1933, Bonhoeffer raised opposition to the persecution of Jews, and argued that the church had a responsibility to act against this kind. Y'all know what happened to the Jews, right? Holocaust. And uh, Bonhoeffer sought to organize the Protestant church to reject Nazi theology from infiltrating it. This led uh, to a breakaway branch of the confessing church. Bonhoeffer helped form the prominent, with the prominent man, pastor Martin Niemöller, uh, the confession church uh, 
sought to stand con in contrary to the Nazi-supported church, German church. So basically, he didn't agree with them. So he said, I'm starting, I'm starting my own church. So he was very, very good. Don Bonhoeffer was a very smart man. And uh, also he was, I think, you know, God, somebody like Heidi Baker, I believe God put her where she is in her time. She is very anointed and uh, very willing to do, to do what is needed. Well, Bonhoeffer was like that. He was God's man for the time. And he, he knew, I mean, how many people start a new whole church? Start, start a Baptist church. Not very many. <laughs> start any church. But it was nationwide called the Confessing Church. And it's, it, it didn't like, and, and openly he said that. He said, I don't think we should have a furor because that furor will come against the people. And he was so popular, and, so, and his family was so influential that he was allowed to say this, and much to uh, Hitler's chagrin. <laughs> he was allowed to say what he wanted to say. Like I said, his dad was very, very wealthy. Uh, he, was, uh, he was a neurologist and a psychiatrist. Like both of them, they came under the uh, same title. Okay, in opposition, Bonhoeffer urges pastors not to, now this is something wild, not to perform basic services, baptisms, and weddings, and funerals. Now, what would happen in America today if the preachers didn't like the leadership and they decided to not do all those things? That's, that was what he thought to do. This guy named Karl Barth, has anybody ever heard of him, Karl Barth? He was a famous uh, theologian friend and fellow pastor, and other pastors urged him not to do it. Now, the Nazis planned to start small, but slowly bend the church to their position. And I want you all to realize that's what, that's what people do. People that want to control the church, they'll start small. Something will happen, you'll say, well, that's no big deal. And then he has a little bit more. So be careful. If somebody starts to do that in America... They can still do that. <laughs> the confessing church, one-third of the pastors insisted that Christ, not the Fuhrer, held, was head of the church. So the confessing church, most of them tried to go away from, uh, from uh, Nazis. They, uh, they ended up uh, joining the Nazi, Nazi cause, especially when they started winning wars. There's been nothing ever like Hitler and nothing ever like the German people. And they came in and they did what they call Blitzkrieg. They went right through France and it took all of World War I and they still didn't win. But when, when Hitler took over, he just said, let's go. We'll go get them and uh, we'll overwhelm them. And he did. I don't know. How, does anybody know how long it was for the war to capture France? It wasn't, like, wasn't more than a couple of months. Yeah. Well, I did. I should know that because I watched that movie. <laughs> right, Jen? All right. Bonhoeffer found a great benefactor isolated in Pomerania. I didn't know where Pomerania was. And this woman, she had a big house, and that's where he stayed because the Nazis 
Didn't like him. Uh, does anybody know where Pomerania is? It's, it's, it's on the very border, northern border of, of uh, Germany, way up in the mountains, and nobody could find him there. Was it? All right, the former students also were there. He was, a, he was so good at teaching others that he became, uh, he started training pastors how to, how to preach. And, uh, but he fell in love. <laughs> he fell in love with his grand, her granddaughter and asked her to marry him before his imprisonment. She was 18 years old. And he was, what, I say 38? <laughs> he wasn't, he was 28. That's what he was. That's a misprint there. He was 28 years old when he first wanted to get married. He was, uh, Himmler jailed 27 pastors who Bonifer, well, but, yeah, I didn't mean that. This is a painful backwards. 27 pastors. Can you make that go up a little bit? I can't. So that's uh, I, I must have accidentally, but there was something that they were pastors, and he told these tw- the twenty-seven he put them in jail. Himmler did, and uh, we know the effect of Himmler. If you know anything about the Nazis, Himmler was right in the middle of it. Yeah, Himmler ran the camps too, and. Uh, yeah, he's the one that had the idea, well, why don't we just make these camps uh, and you know, kill them all? And that's, uh, and of course, Hitler went along with that. And he was also into witchcraft. He was uh, into New Age witchcraft. Himmler was demonic. Definitely demonic. And, 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 and most, most of the people that Hitler attached to himself were demonic. And they, they did some awful things. And... Uh, I'm not here to talk about that, but correlations between the U.S. and now and Germany. And this is, Americans are proud. Don't you think we have a proud country? We're proud of our country. So we sing, we're proud to be an American. We sing songs. Trump promised to make us great again. Watch that. We, we feel powerless with what happened in the election. The U.S. church has become less influential would y'all agree with that? The church has become less, and Christians are straying away from the Bible as the truth. When you start, remember, they're starting slow. So as long as we stick to the Bible and, 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 start, and keep believing in the Lord as our, our Savior, uh, and then, then we won't be powerless. Even this election won't throw us off. This, what I want you to do is, is don't feel bad that we lost the election. We didn't lose the election. Yeah, Eddie, you want to say that? God's got it. God has it. So don't worry. I don't know how he's going to do it. I'm not as smart as he is. <laughs> but, but when you get away from the Bible, and I think part of the church, that, that the Nazis, the German church, they did away with the Old Testament. They didn't like it. You don't have that authority. Uh, so when people start taking up, you know, picking and choosing what they want to believe, uh, anything can happen. So stick to the Bible and what it says, even if you don't understand it all. <laughs> For, 
Yeah, replacement theology, that's right. That's, that's something that was very popular too. Let me see if I can get this right. Oh, it ran out of power. <laughs> it ran out of power, Jack. <laughs> All right, this media is censoring what is really. Did y'all know that even today? Media is censoring what is released. Many are looking to Biden and the Democratic Party to save us. <laughs> you don't want to tell about your class today, do you? <laughs> My wife uh, had to leave. This is American school, and she, she was being Republican and uh, didn't believe the way they believed. So I don't, th I don't think we can look for anybody but God. And, and no President Trump is not God. I love President Trump, and I voted for him, but he is not God. So let's stay with it, a church, and let's stay powerful. What can we do as Christians and as a church to keep the history we can pray? Now, I, don't, I think Americans especially don't realize how powerful prayer is. And I think... Uh, uh, Joyce, what's that? Oh, I guess one of the woman preachers, Joyce Meyer, said, I hate it when people say, I've done everything I can do, now I'm going to pray. <laughs> so the most powerful thing she could have done would have been to pray and then ask, then try these other methods. But <laughs> that's the way we do it. All right. These are quotes from Diedrich, Diedrich Bonham offer. How much time have I used? Got more time? Okay, let's read these quotes, and then what I want you to do is tell me what you think it means. Seek God and not happiness. This is the fundamental rule of all meditation. If you seek God, you will gain happiness. That is its promise. All right, can somebody put that in their own words? Yeah, Josh. We'll give you a microphone. <laughs> Yeah, go backwards. Go up one. So what it's saying about, like, nothing else can give you happiness but God. You could have all the money in the world or, like, everything that you want, but if you don't have God, you're lonely. Good. That's, that's what it means to me, too. Yeah. Eddie, you just, you just say amen? You're not saying a woman? <laughs> Somebody did that. I don't know who. <laughs> this <may> <laughs> okay. Anybody else want to comment? All right, flip it one more time. Now, there's two of them here. I love this this first one. I really love. If you board a train, board if you if you board the wrong train, it is no use running along the corridor in the opposite direction. Isn't that something? What's that mean? You're still going the same way. You'll end up right where the train's going, even though you ran the wrong way. <laughs> the train's going. So all right, being a Christian is less about cautiously avoiding sin than being courageous and, and entire or activity in doing God's will. What's that mean? Being a Christian is less about cautiously avoiding sin than about courageously and actively doing God's will. 
I think in some churches, it, there's a lot of focus on sin, avoiding sin. And, and it's important, but it's more important to actively be doing God's will. Yeah, I was uh, looking at some pictures for, of Bonhoeffer, and one of them, he was smoking. Now I'm thinking, how can a Christian smoke? <laughs> I don't know. I, and I found out that I had a prejudice against the cigarette smoking. I don't, think, I don't think it's healthy. I don't like it. But I'm not God. <laughs> so, yeah, the culture was a different thing back then. Yeah, that's right. God, I think he led him back in heaven. <laughs> that, uh, that showed my prejudice right there. So that is the kind of churches that I've been part of. If you smoked and you were in the choir, you had to stop. Have y'all have y'all heard y'all been part of that church? <laughs> it's not healthy. That's right. But what about somebody who eats too much and they sing in the choir? I don't try to judge. God, you take care of it. Okay. This is not up to me. I'm glad I don't have that job. All right. We forget man stands alone before the ultimate authority. This, uh, this, these quotes have really meant a lot to me. I can't read this other one. Evil is in itself evil. Yeah, it's hard to read because it's... It, yeah, it's got the wrong color. Not to speak is to speak... Not to speak is to speak. Yeah, so if you're silent, you're still speaking. If you, if you don't act, then you're still acting. You know, this is... Uh, this may be the time where we need to stand. <clears throat> we got to let people know what we believe. Don't get rolled over by this thing that's going on in our country today. Stand up as a church, as a pastor, as a person in the church. And like, just like Jan was at school today, and they were talking completely different than what she believes. So she's just left. <laughs> See that I think well should I have stood up and, and said my piece you know though by getting up and leaving I was speaking but um, I'm not one that, that likes confrontation and so um, you know and it's just like you know the Facebook and all that stuff I, I just refuse to get into it with people I, I you know but I, but now I look at that and I think well by being silent and am I Condoning it? I don't know. Jan and I worked together in New Hanover County Schools, and being a part of a public educational system, it's no more than a political body, a part of a political body. And you have to be careful somewhat. Uh, you have to curtail any speech about God or religion, per se, we used to have a silent moment, right? Where the, you know, we, we couldn't offend Muslims and Catholics and whomever, so you had a silent moment. So you have to negotiate. You have to negotiate the, the gauntlet, and you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, there's a, there'll be a, there's a time for everything. That says that in what, Ecclesiastes? There's a time. 
for everything. And there, there is a time we need to stand. And, and we have this, this studying Bonhoeffer, he was not afraid to say what he believed. He didn't care. If, and in fact, he was finally hung. And I'll talk a little bit more about that next week. But uh, he was hung for his beliefs. He knew that he, he knew what his end was going to be because he was so committed. Yes. I believe he knew that, uh, that he ultimately was going to go that way. I was talking to Pastor Tom. I think uh, Christians who die as martyrs don't feel, don't feel pain. This is the way I feel. I don't, I don't have any proof. I just think that when, you, when you're with God and you say, God, I'm going to do this, you do it. We've, we've seen, um, Jen and I used to read books about death and after death and people that go to heaven, people go to hell and all that stuff, and nowhere do they feel it. Not until they come back in their bodies, like, yeah. you know, when they don't feel pain when they're dying, and then if the Lord brings them back, that's when they feel pain. But uh, they're, they're very interesting to read. Yeah, I was, um, I was reading one particular one. This person was on the floor dead. And the wife prayed for them, and he, and he came back. And she said, what happened? <laughs> he said, I don't know. I was up there and looking down. And then he said something. He said, and she said, well, they're not going to believe you. So she goes, he goes to the hospital because she's, you know, scared of, of his. And, she, and she, she said, well, I went up on my roof. And there was, she had a false roof, and she said, there was a box of something up there. I don't know what it was. And they said, no, no, you just, this is not real. The doctors were trying to talk her out of it. And she said, go ahead and look. It's right there in my house. So they were in her house. Out. So they lifted up, the, and right there was a box of nails. <laughs> so she had actually gone through the wall or gone through the roof, saw, saw them talking, saw her husband praying, and uh, it's an awesome testimony, I think. And it, it was, you know, just didn't know what was going on. But uh, the proof was in the pudding. Go ahead. There's another. All right. The first Christ suffering, which every man must experience, is the call to abandon the attachment to the world. The call of Christ sets up a barrier between man and his natural life. Does anybody want to want to say anything about that? Yeah. yeah, that's what it is. It's died the first Christian suffering. Now, when you hear other countries talk about suffering, we went to India. We've been to we've been to Brazil. We've been all over the world. <laughs> just about. I think there's just a few countries I haven't been to, <laughs> and uh, at least at least. But they, what was I going to say? Yeah, they, they don't want you to take it away. So when you pray for them, don't pray for dis dissolving suffering. Because when they suffer, they get the power. And when they get the power, people get healed and people get saved. They don't want you to pray for, against suffering. And that, this happens almost everywhere you go in the country, in the world. People will say to you, Pray for me, but don't pray against the suffering. I know that's hard to do. 
But when you suffer, you have a deeper relationship with the Lord. If you're going through something, say, Lord, with the joy of the Lord is my strength. Boy, I'll tell you, there's a lot of things you don't understand, but that you got to believe that's true. <laughs> the joy of the Lord is my strength. I don't feel like being joyful. People are, are bad-mouthing me, <laughs> you might say, but uh, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Now, the ultimate test of a moral society is the kind of world that, leave, that, that it leaves to its children. Now, when I was younger... Uh, I was born in 47. I, I might be the oldest one here. <laughs> no, wait, I forgot. <laughs> She's always got me beat. She, she, she. <laughs> we had an intercom, and every day on the second grade, the principal would come on and pray. Come on the intercom and say a prayer. Most of the kids were Baptist. The Baptist church in the South I was raised in Birmingham. The Baptist churches had a stronghold on that city. And the reason was God was there. When you go to a Baptist church at that time, uh, you, I've, I've been to the altar in a Baptist church. I've been to the altar in every church. And I've tried to live the Christian life. And that's what I've, and that's what I've done. Yeah. In the elementary school, they would start with the scripture reading, and then we would sing all the patriotic songs about America. God bless America. <laughs> and that's where we lost it. They would stop and pray and have the scriptures first. Yeah, like this right now, and I probably feel bad because I have not said anything about taking prayer out of school. Is anybody here? So nobody here has told anybody you've done it about taking prayer out of school. We're not in favor of that. And we need to say something. We need to let somebody know we're not afraid. And I think that's what Bonhoeffer did, and I respect that, is he's, and he didn't like something, he told you. So we, be careful as Americans. This, this might be, quote, our punishment. <laughs> I think, when I think back on when they took prayer out of school, I was deceived by being told, well, you can't control what people are praying. It could be a witch praying. It could be a Muslim praying. And so we can't allow any prayer. And so I think that's how it was kind of, like I say, slowly taken away um, to the point that now I can't mention God. You know, um, as I, the, they kind of convinced me that, you know, I wouldn't have any control over what was being prayed or who was praying Right, right now, though, take your job away. Yeah. Right there. So I want to share a perspective uh, coming from Africa, uh, Nigeria. So in Nigeria, um, we have prayer in the school. But because the country is uh, a split between Christian and Muslim, so what they did was on Fridays, they will have the Muslim teachers lead prayer on Friday. But the rest of the week, you have Christian prayer. You have assembly where you know students will gather and the principal will lead prayer. And sometimes you even see people, you know, filled with the Holy Spirit. So it was God was not pushed out. So the the, the solution was okay. You know, we don't want to offend the Muslims, so we give you Friday because Friday is the 
day that they do their own prayers. So that's how we coexisted. Uh, it's not about pushing God out and saying, oh, let's just ban prayer out, you know, completely, because the devil is behind it. We know that. He just doesn't want God, period. And we see what's happening in our nation with all the shooting and all the witchcraft and all the drugs and addictions among students, because we, we said, God, get out of the school. That's the problem. I grew up in New York, and elementary school, there was no prayer. Junior high school, there was no prayer announced by the principal. You didn't hear any prayer at all. High school, there was no mention of prayer on the, um, on the intercom system, period. From elementary to when I graduated high school, I never heard prayer. If you didn't get it in the home, you didn't get it. Yeah. Now, how much, how much, uh, Bishop talked about this, how much should we honor the Muslim? Is that, is that honoring them by letting them pray? That's, I'm asking you a question. Is that, all right, how much should we honor other people's belief? Even if we don't believe it. I came from Malaysia. I grew up and more, there are, I think, 85% are Muslims, and the rest are Buddhists or Christians, but I was Methodist. And I can tell you this, the Muslims respected the Christians, and the Christians expect, uh, respected the Muslims. There is one great country which I cannot understand. All religions are the same to them. And if I go and do a Buddhist prayer, the Muslims are behind me, and the Christians are behind me. It is really one great country. If anybody wants to learn anything, go to Malaysia and you really can learn it from them. When I was in the Army, or I didn't see this until after I got out of the Army, or what I'm talking about specifically, our country allows Sikh enlistees in the United States Army to wear their turbans, Officers, they have a they wear a turban, and the rest of the soldiers wear what they wear. But if it's an if it's an enlisted man and he's a Sikh, he gets to wear his turban as long as he has everything from the neck down congruent with the other soldiers. So this is what our country allows. Sikhs. Uh, when I was in the service, I'm sure in the Navy it was the same thing. If you had a hair profile, a beard profile, and you had to carry your profile around and you were allowed to wear your beard. Other than that, you had to cut it off. So our country allows this in the, well, I'm talking about the Army. I don't know about the Navy yeah. and the Marine Corps. But anyway, I, I, saw, pictures, I saw pictures of it. And I, I was really shocked. Now, and I have nothing against Sikhs. I have nothing against Muslims. But in our military, this is what they allowed. From the Pentagon on down, I saw an officer marching in a brigade formation, and he was a Sikh American. So I'll leave that one alone. OK, does anybody know what they're doing now in America? They're telling, you can't talk about Jesus if you're a chaplain in the Navy. 
Isn't that something? We've come a long way, yeah. time I went in was in uh, about 92, maybe, and um, we could pray for people. I mean, we were called, we were partner, partnered with law enforcement and went out with them when there was a hostage thing, but mainly to work with the families in those crisis or, or uh, trauma times. But then there came a rule that you could no longer pray in Jesus' name. I said, how can you be a support for people? And not do that. But that was what they decided. And everybody had their own even, I mean, all the different, the Native American group, the, you know, they all had their different uh, representatives. And so it just was so sad because people need the Lord. They might not even know it. They're not yet saved. Yeah. So there was an experience that I, I remember. I, I remember I was 10 years old. I was sitting with my dad. We were a Methodist. I grew up a Methodist. My dad was Methodist, just like you. So uh, we were in church, and the pastor, I remember the pastor you know, standing up there, and he was asking the question from the congregation, do you guys believe that the Christians and the Muslims are worshiping the same God? So they, you know, he asked the congregation, there was a bunch of older folks, you know, I was 10 years old, I remember. And I was sitting there, I know the answer, and I was shocked by the congregation saying, Almost half of the congregation said, yeah, we're all worshiping the same God. And the pastor was like, huh? And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, no. That is wrong. They're worshiping Allah. I'm worshiping Jesus. And Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by him. At 10 years old, I knew that. But more than half of the congregation had this opinion, maybe because of the tolerance. And I think we need to be tolerant. And I disagree with, uh, you know, we, we, I need to learn how to pray like a Muslim, learn how to pray like a Buddhist. No, no, no. I don't, I don't want to learn that. You know, my family is split. Half of my family is Muslim, the extended family, and half is Christian. So when, you know, we have family gatherings together, we, we, we fellowship together, and that's about it. I'm Christian. I'm following Jesus all the way, no matter what. I'll love you, and I'll tell you about Jesus but I'm not doing your Muslim thing. I remember my brother went on vacation one time, and he came back with the Muslim hat, and I, I slapped it off his head. <laughs> <laughs> now, maybe you should have done. <laughs> I think somewhere in the Bible, it tells you, don't you do that. Take part in no other religion. Jesus is the way. All right, but now, how you know, far? when I was going to the hospital, I was, you know, for my, uh, to learn all this thing, become a chaplain. And I got there, and I tell you what, the Holy Spirit says, no, I don't want you to do this. He says, you can't talk about me openly to these people anymore. You see, and I backed off from it. Two weeks later, a, 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 a brother came to me, him and his wife, and wanted me to be the chaplain for the company. And that's where I stepped into and could work all kinds. I mean, God worked miracles in this place. But no, at the hospital, I used to go in and pray for people, lay hands on. I'm telling you, things happen. And then all of a sudden, he couldn't use his name anymore. So, you know, you just have to do what the people say. Get out of it. Don't stay in. 
I do think that's uh, really important to be able to speak about Jesus in the public arena, uh, you know, because one of the Bill of Rights is that we have freedom of speech. So the uh, the founding fathers knew that if Christians didn't speak, that uh, that ability would be taken away. And then uh, in Acts somewhere it says that we're uh, we're not going to listen to man over what God wants us to do in the the priests were telling them to be quiet about Jesus. So sometimes I'll, I'll go to um, CFCC or somewhere, and I'll read a chapter in the Bible out loud to where people can hear. And just uh, I, I just know that's something that God wants me to do because it's uh, uh, exercising free speech. And if they arrest me, then then I would want to, you know, take that to court uh, because that's important. I remember, too, when I was in high school that... Uh, there was these kids, and it was Christmas Eve, and there was a bird that came into the uh, little walkway there at New Hanover High School, and uh, some of the kids were kicking the bird, and they were, like, taking the bird and throwing it down the, the hallway, and one of the kids stood up. He was a pastor's son, and he, uh, he said, don't, don't kill the bird. It's Christmas, and he, like, took the bird and let it go out the window, and I always remember that. Like, sometimes when, when one person says something it's very powerful you yeah know? that's right i think i think we all have to say uh what can i do lord you need to pray about this lord i know everybody jen jen everybody in school is they are democratic they think they think democrats have have the answers how much do you want out of me we need to ask that question because i i was uh, in cuba for a year and there's a lot of Muslims down there. And a lot of the Muslims uh, flew airplanes. And so they invited me, an American Christian, to drink their tea. They have this real sweet tea. <laughs> it's a kind of a, they, they do it, just honor you. So they gave, us, they gave me the tea, and there was four lieutenant commanders, and that, that's what I was at the time. And, and they said, uh, I, I knew they were Muslims. I said, I believe in Jesus Christ. And they said, we do too. He's a great prophet. That's what the difference is, guys. The Muslims don't believe he, was, he is the Messiah. So ask God. Yeah. Whatever religion you are, everybody celebrates Christmas. Everybody's house has a Christmas tree. That's what the, that time. Well, I, I don't know how to, does anybody know what that, how to, how to fix that, <laughs> Pastor Tom? No, I'm just going to comment that um, it was about five years ago, I, we, the city council, before they open up any of the city council meetings, there was an invocation. So there was a pastoral uh, kind of a schedule. So they sent me a letter. They said, we'd love you to come and open up the city council meeting with an invocation. I said, well, can I pray in Jesus' name? They said, no, you cannot pray in Jesus' name. I said, well, the, so I wrote a letter back. There, were, there was at least one pastor as a city council member who was part of the city council. So I wrote back a letter with the scriptures that says, pray in Jesus' name. There's no sense me operating in invocation if I can't pray to the one who can make it all happen. There you go. So um, I said, suppose I come there and I don't listen to you and I pray in Jesus' name, who is my Savior. He says, well, 
will probably sue you um, because the county is going to get sued because they've been the um, they've been put on word or warning that there's going to be a lawsuit against the council if you continue to pray in Jesus' name. So I called up uh, the ACLJ. I called up Jay Sekulow's organization. I said, I'm willing to get sued. Will you defend me if I go down there and make a stand? He said, listen, we're about ready to have a lawsuit against Rowan County in North Carolina. We believe we can win that case. And actually, they did. Um, so, but probably earlier in the, uh, was in the fall, I got another letter. They haven't invited me back on any invocations. But I got a letter. So I wrote back again. I said, so can I come down there now and pray in Jesus' name? They never contacted me back again. <laughs> All right. so to, to Jan's point, you know, there's a time, he says, don't enter into um, foolish division and com So there's, there's scriptural time, and yet there's other times where you take a stand. We, we see, certainly see that in, in the book of Acts where, you know, Peter, Paul, and oh, the whole gang, they, they, they're taking a stand. So it really comes down to, Lord, when is it that you want me to take this stand? What is, the, is this my fight now? Is this the fight you have me? Obviously, Bonhoeffer, right, he's in Harlem free. I read his book. He made a choice. said, no, this is my call. How can it be that I leave my, my German faith and not go back and stand with them now? So he knew in advance that that was his call. Um, so once you know that, then okay. Uh, thank you, Tom. I, this is the book right here. <laughs> see. It says Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the, the story of him. <laughs> Pastor Tom loaned that to me. Yeah. Okay. A few years ago, I had an incident in New York City where I was walking down the sidewalk, and there's a a uh, nicely, very, very nicely dressed man. And this incident was, I believe, a direct result from a play I had seen the night before. So I come out of the hotel room, and there's, a, like I said, a very nicely, very um, elderly gentleman, white hair, beautiful suit, and he walked past me. And as he walked past me, he just tilted his head towards me, not full face, just kind of tilted and glanced over at me. And he said something in garble. And I knew at that moment he, a demon was speaking through him. Mm. And I was going to say something. Um, I felt very strongly about saying you know, G Jesus is Lord. And I was going to confront, I was going to turn around and, and command in a very strong voice. I did not. I thought it, and then something told me, it's okay not to speak out because you're thinking it, God knows what you're thinking, and that's strong enough. I got home, and if, I don't know, a few weeks later, I watched Perry Stone on television, and he says, I have a word for someone. He said, I don't know why, but the Lord is telling me to give this word to somebody out there. God wants you to speak up. 
And I knew that word was for me. And I, and I told the Lord I was sorry, and I said, if I have another opportunity, I will take it. Yeah. And I did apologize to Jesus, and I felt bad for not speaking up, but I think, I think it, something inside of me told me it was okay not to speak up. And I knew that was, a, and I realized afterwards that that was a lie. Yeah, we, uh, do you want David? Yeah, I, uh, I come from a really, uh, my grandfather was a military man, my father was, but he was very defiant. He was a true believer, but he was also a school teacher in his latter years, and it was right after the 60s when they started taking Christ, you know, God out of the, out of the schools. And he didn't buy it. And he used to bring a Bible to, church, uh, to the school system, and he would put it on the desk of a student. If they wanted to read from it, he allowed it. If they didn't, they just pass it to the next person. But I think that's what you had to say about what you had that incident with and when we're dealing with taking a stand. He wasn't about to let go. And he, as I said, he was very defiant. He did a lot of things like that. But he was just a man who just felt like he wasn't going to be the one to drop the ball. Yeah. And I think that's what we all have to. It's where we are in our lives today when we take advantage of that opportunity and we work it to the best ability we can. Okay. Yeah, we're, uh, this country is being more, less Christian and more, more, and more, what do you call it? There's a word. Secular, yeah. Yeah, more secular, yeah. Josh wants to talk. Mom says, what's he going to say? <laughs> um, I just wanted to encourage you all about the um, coronavirus pandemic. Like, during um, this time, it has been very stressful because, like, I thought that the churches wouldn't reopen and all my friends were just like, wow, like, no, nothing's open. But, like, this place has always been very encouraging because you guys are always very bold to like get stuff running again so i just wanted to say like thank you thanks for that thank you and, and i think you need to say god do you want me to say something now i'll, I'll tell you two two stories about myself me jan and i went to kansas city to the year 2000 we wanted to see if god's coming back <laughs> well he didn't come back the year 2000 Y2K. yeah y2k yeah uh, we, so we went to uh, the Paris in Kansas City, the prayer place. What do you call it? Prayer furnace, yeah. And uh, th on the way there from our hotel, there was a Muslim driver. Now, Muslim was driving the, the taxi. I said, uh, and I told him what we're doing, and he's, he just, you know, I said, well, can I pray for you? I don't know why I said that. He had a leather jacket on. First he said... You, in conversation, he told Terry that he's having a hard time with the language. Yeah. Um, and so that's, then he said, well, can I pray for you? Yeah, that, so that, thank you, Jan. Pray for him. Yeah, that's what I did. I, I, I could tell he was having a hard time, but he said he went to school. I said, I said how are you doing? <laughs> Not too good. I can't do the English very well or the language very well. So I asked if I could pray for him. So I stuck my hand. He was in the front, and I stuck my hand on his shoulder. And I didn't feel a thing. He he goes like that, and he walked, and he kind of sh shook my hand yeah, off. Like <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what God did. I don't know, I, and we didn't last but about fifteen minutes. But after that, he was gone, 
But we, I think that's the, the kind of opportunities that we need to take. I was at Sam's a couple of years ago, and this girl had red hair. <laughs> and so I was sitting there eating at Sam's, which is cheaper, so I eat there. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I ate, I, I was eating, and, and I just heard a voice in my head say, go pray for that girl and tell her that I'm listening. I said, whoa. <laughs> I mean, there was, you know, Sam's is not a place to pray for anybody. <laughs> so, so I got up the guts, and I went over there and said, hey, God told me to tell you this. And I said something complimentary about her. And she started crying, and she said, that meant a lot to me. So, so I walked over and sat down and ate, ate my hot dog. <laughs> so that's the kind of thing we need to do. We need to say, God, do you want me to approach that person? Do you want me to stand strong for you? Uh, do you want me to stand against them? Do you want me to say anything? I think, uh, has anybody ever had a situation where they asked God and he told, he told them? All right, tell me what happened. It's so funny that you said that. And I'm mean, talking about the issue of the politically correct environment that we live in. This happened last week. So I was having a conversation with one of my staff, and the Lord was speaking to me. He said, I want you to tell him that I love him. And then he told me something else to tell him. So <laughs> I said, okay, you're my friend, right? And, you know, we have this boss-employee relationship, but you're my friend. I feel that the Lord is telling me, that's the way I presented it. I feel like the Lord is telling me to tell you how much he loved you and then the other thing. And the guy was almost in tears because I, I know I heard God. <laughs> you know, we have to be obedient no matter what. If the Lord is telling you to speak to somebody in the store, to speak to somebody on the train, on the bus, be obedient. That's right. I've also learned that if you don't obey God in that moment, uh, he's not going to talk to you the next time because <laughs> you didn't listen to the last one he told you. And so many times in your prayer time, you're asking God to tell you this, to tell you that. The last instruction he gave you, you did not obey. So you have to be willing to step out and be bold to declare your faith and, and use those opportunities that God gives you. And that, that every, every one of us has, has had that kind of situation. This is a good segue because part of the reason uh, I asked Pastor Terry to do this teaching is you, you heard about the slow burn. If you ever study what happened in Nazi Germany, the rise, it started in 1933. And yes, the environment was set up where they had been severely defeated in World War I. And in the slow burn of what happened, they first they compromised, the, the church compromised, they started to change. Then Hitler becomes the idolatry of the church, yeah. right? So the Fuhrer becomes, so they replaced good doctrine and the church compromised. The leadership of the church compromised. And uh, the Catholic Church, if you ever go through the Holocaust Museum, especially in uh, Israel, you see the, the agreements, the Catholic Church, I'm not picking on them, don't mess with our facilities, our properties, and we'll, we'll, you do what you need to do. So there was this slow burn of compromise in the church. It's happening today in the United States. It's this slow, it's... It's, got, it's under the guise of um, tolerance, agreement, uh, don't be offensive, whether it's the homosexual issue, whether, and, and this is going to get very interesting potentially in the next few years. 
with the recent amendment change that the, that the Supreme Court gave about, and right now there's some stuff working through the Supreme Court that could force churches to hire homosexuals. And so, so they're, they're, and if you don't, they can bring a lawsuit against the church, and what church can defend in a lot of, so there's this slow burn of compromise that is dressed up um, intolerance and the circumstances of the environment, and it's, it's, it's going to be more and more difficult to stand against that. The other thing is, if you study, you, you look at the Nuremberg trials, when they, after the defeat of Nazism, and, you know, many of them committed suicide or escaped to Argentina, but those they brought before the the justice system, many of the senior officers said, we were just following orders. What you, we're, in the, we're in the military. What do you want? So there's a place, and, and this, in our environment here, we want to support, obviously, Romans 13, support of legitimate government, things that happen, trying to support the curfew. Look, we're, we're trying to be submitted. But when the, when the government or the leadership steps into a place that is in direct violation of the word. When, the, when, the, when Newsom, the governor of California, came back and said, you can't come together and worship. You're forbidden to sing. Okay, now, it's one thing if you want to do a lockdown for a series of time. We were shut down for about six weeks and, and trying to get all our understanding of that together. But when, that, when they cross those kinds of lines, this says, raise up holy voices unto the Lord. Praise and worship and honor the king. So when th there's a place where it's, it's, it's very difficult. You have to hear the Lord on when you're going to take your stand. But when we really understand the word, we have to stand under the word. We're not going to compromise. We have homosexuals that come in. We do ministry with them. We love them. We love all people. It's no different than the adulterer, the drug addict, the halfway house. Sin is sin, right? But we're not going to compromise the word. We can't. And, and then I think Bonhoeffer knew that, hey, if you don't stand up, Who's going to stand up? Now, he paid with his life, but I know where he's at, right? So. I just wanted to, came back to my memory. I was working at a hospital, and I worked for a patient relations department, and I put my Bible up on the desk, and they told me to remove it because it would be offensive. And I said, it's a silent witness. I don't say anything about it. It's just sitting there. So they said, OK, maybe you could leave it there, but don't say anything about it. But I asked the Lord what I should do about it. And he told me to be as tenacious as a pit bull. And so I, I said, that's a silent witness. I will not say anything unless somebody asks me for it. And that progressed to where I had closed-circuit television and uh, to the past patients and everything. They were tolerant. Now, Jen and I were talking about uh, if, if Biden becomes president. And uh, we'll hear more about LGBT. Is that how you say it? <laughs> we'll hear more about that. We'll hear more about the homosexuals and abortion. Abortion, yeah. yeah we've, I, think, and, uh, I feel like we've lost ground, but... I know that God's still in charge. Yeah, Pastor Tom and I, we both sent a letter to Homework and told him we don't support your, your, your and I named the name of it. That, that talks about homosexuals and it shows them as, as being normal or something to that effect. So just ask the God and, and don't get, 
don't get word, don't get wrapped up in fear. Say, God, am I supposed to do something right now? Am I supposed to tell them? Am I supposed to write a message to them? And it's not easy, but it is rewarding. <laughs> okay, you got a few. All right, got. Thanks for putting the next quote up there. In other words, get going, Terry. I can no longer condemn or hate a brother whom for whom I pray, no matter how much trouble he has caused me. It's uh, it's hard to say bad things about somebody you're praying for. <laughs> yeah. Can I have something real quick? So uh, it just come to my spirit about the comment I made earlier about my brother going to spend time with family because he was on vacation and then he came back with the Muslim thing. Uh, the the issue is this: if you are not careful, uh, the people that you surround yourself with your faith will be eroded. Yeah. Your faith will be eroded. And it's like Pastor said, it's a slow burn. It's a gradual thing. You know, there was an experiment that was done many years ago when they throw a frog into hot boiling water, it will jump out. But put it in, the, in a regular warm water and turn on the heat gradually. The frog will keep adjusting until it's boiled right in the water. That's the strategy of the enemy. It will start chipping away at your faith here, chipping right. away at your there. And then five years from now, you look at yourself like, well, how did I get here? How did I get here? So you have to stand your ground yeah. in your faith. I'm not intolerant. If somebody is of a different faith or of a different persuasion or things like that, I'm not intolerant. But I'm going to stand my, my ground in my faith. And if God gives me the opportunity, I will minister to their witness to them of what I believe and why I believe what I believe. And that's why you have to be a friend of the Bible, a friend of the Holy Spirit. Because we are living in a time now that if you are not careful, you just go with the flow. That's right. You just go with the flow. And before you know it, you're like everybody is like, how did I get here? It happens gradually, gradually, gradually. So you have to stand your ground, know what you believe, and why you believe what you believe. Okay. Thank you. Let's all stand. We'll, we'll, we'll pray. It's 8 o'clock, so. Okay. <laughs> I got one. I'll just go ahead and give that. To... All right. Let's just all bow our head. Lord, I thank you so much for your presence here tonight. I thank you for the Holy Spirit directing our talk. And I hope and I pray that, that you will be with each person that's standing here today and give them words to say to those that, that you want to witness to. And help us, Lord Jesus, to be not, not, not against everything, but help us to stand for everything, stand for you and for the Word of God. Thank you, Lord, for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.